Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. This week, I have Dr. John Demartini. Now, you may recognize that, that uh, name. He's been on the show before, and he's definitely one that I wanted to have back on again. He is an incredible teacher, an educator, an author of, uh, I don't know how many dozens of books. He's been working in the personal development and uh, space for, oh, gosh, 50 years, I think. Incredible man. I hope you enjoy uh, part two of this very in-depth conversation about upgrading your life, how to how to grow your businesses. We talk about also uh, how to reach your full potential and what, what sort of things we put in our own way. So I hope you enjoy that episode with Dr. John. Um, also like to let you know we have a boost camp coming up. This is a not boot camp, a boost camp. Um, it's all about upgrading your life. This is all about being the best version of yourself that you can be, upgrading everything in your life from your health fundamentals to things like sleep and understanding your your brain better, your mood and behavior, lots and lots of science, lots of information and stuff that's going to be actually practical stuff that you can implement in your life to improve how you're performing, your health, uh, your your vision and purpose in life and aligning all of these things together. So I hope you'll come and join us. This is an eight-week program that is live with Neil Wagstaff and myself. Neil is my longtime coach and business partner, and he runs all the programs with me that we do with epigenetics, with running hot coaching and so on, and he is an incredible teacher. I do hope you'll check it out. You can go to peakwellness.co.nz peak wellness p-e-a-k peakwellness.co.nz forward slash boost camp b-o-o-s-t-c-a-m-p to find out more and come and join us it's going to be a fantastic uh, ride and you're going to learn an awful lot and uh, get to hang out with a cool bunch of people while you're doing it so check that out um, also, I'd like to remind you, too, of our patron program. We have a patron program for the podcast um, to help us uh, keep this on air, keep this great content, help us uh, keep the mission going. If you're into doing that, um, please, you know, for the price of a coffee a, week, uh, a month, sorry, a coffee a month, you can be involved in this project and you can also um, get a whole lot of exclusive member benefits for your troubles. Um, so check all that out at patron.lisatarmity.com, P-A-T-R-O-N.lisatarmity.com. Right, now over to the show with Dr. John Demartini. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. I'm super excited to have an amazing man back again for a second round, Dr. John Demartini. Welcome to the show, Dr. John. It's fabulous to have you back again. Yes, thank you for having me back. Uh, it's just I was so blown away by our conversation last time, and I know you, you do, you know, thousands of these interviews and and the, the work that you do that you probably can't even remember what you talked about. But um, it was a, a real life changing episode that ended up. We dived into some of your medical work earlier, and we went all over the place with you know, your breakthrough experience, and and I just felt like we didn't quite cover all the bases that I you know want to sort of tap into your great knowledge. So. 
having you back again today. And today I thought we would we'd, uh, look at things like, um, I want to uh, dive into uh, things like, how do we achieve the impossible? Um, I've been doing a lot of work in, 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 in researching around what is it that makes incredible people incredible and, and that they had the ability to overcome incredible odds and, and, and difficulties and obstacles in order to achieve uh, some possible things. And I'm very much into a lot of the big thinkers out there. So I wanted to start there if, with, with you, if that's okay. Um, how, do, how do we achieve the impossible, Dr. John? <laughs> well, I don't know. If, uh, maybe that's a bit of a metaphor. The impossible <laughs> is impossible, but... Um, yeah, it's a metaphor. <laughs> the improbable. The improbable. Maybe. Yeah. Um, when the why is big enough, the house take care of themselves. Brilliant. Yeah. When you have a big enough reason for doing something, no matter how many obstacles you face, you get up again. And there was an interview. There was an interview by a gentleman, I think, from 60 Minutes doing Elon Musk. And they asked him, after having three launches explode back to back. Yeah. You ever think about giving up? And he looked at the guy and he says, I never give up. I'd have to be incapacitated. Meaning that his mission to go to Mars is too important for any obstacle that might arise to stop him. I would say nothing mortal can interfere with an immortal vision. Wow. Yeah. And so each of us as you know, have a set of priorities. And the very top, 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 top priority is a non-negotiable. It's where human sovereignty and divine providence come together. Where you feel that it's impossible for you not to fulfill it, it's your destiny. I feel that way with my mission of speaking. You know, I just felt that that was my destiny when I was 17. And I've been doing it 48 plus years now. Be soon 49 in a few months. Wow. <laughs> so if you have a big enough reason for doing it, you'll see the challenges on the way, not in the way. It's like Edison. You know, a thousand ways to that didn't work for the light bulb to get the light bulb. There was no option about getting a light bulb. He knew he would come up with an answer. He just kept ruling. Okay, that doesn't work. Okay, next. That one doesn't work. Next. When things are lower on your value you'll do it if there's pleasure you'll stop doing it if there's pain when something's high in your value you'll do it regardless of pleasure or pain and you'll see both of them on the way not in the way mm-hmm. yeah. so there's wisdom in not doing low priority things there's wisdom in not pursuing something that's not truly and deeply meaningful to you People who do that build incremental momentum that reaches an unstoppable state, kind of an inertia that's unstoppable. And that's the the, the key to extraordinary things. And when it's truly aligned with your value, your identity revolves around it, you feel it's impossible for you not to do it. It's not not an option. It's who you are. So this involves looking at 
you know, your values determination, you know, like how to how to sort out what your real because I think this is where a lot of us come unstuck. We we have lots of things we want to do and we're curious about lots of things and have lots of passions and it's sorting out the the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, in order distilling down that vision so that you're actually hyper focused and being able to concentrate on the things that you need to concentrate on. I know that's something that I definitely struggle with um, when you have so many things that you're interested in. Um, but you're you're very right when you say, like for me, like with my story with my mum, if you remember bringing her back from the massive aneurysm, there was a non-negotiable. We were doing it and I was going to get her back or die trying was the attitude that I went in with. And that meant sacrificing whatever it took to get to yeah. that place. And then well, you, the you do get there, you know. Well, the thing is not to pursue low-priority things. And to know what those are and say and delegate everything other than what's important. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't do anything but research, write, teach. Those are the three things that I love doing. But it's all about educating people in human behavior. Nice. So that's the one thing that is non-negotiable that I do. And then I delegate everything else away. That way you don't have to be distracted and run down. What drains you is doing low priority things. Yeah, and if this you, is the lot. You. Yeah, this is a lot that, that that a lot of people, you know, especially startup entrepreneurs and people that are, you know, just getting there, finding their way, uh, are struggling with. You know, the whole delegation thing when they don't have a team around them. Um, how, what, what sort of advice do you want to give to people who are at the beginning uh, of their career and don't have a team yet around them to help? you know, do all those aspects of it that are draining the hell out of their lives. Well, what you do is you ask the question, how is doing this action temporarily until I can find somebody to delegate it to helping me fulfill my mission? Okay. And link it, link it, link it, link it it to your brain. You reframe it so it's, you see it on the way, not in the way, with the knowing that you're going to delegate it. And then it doesn't cost to delegate. It costs not to. Mm. As long as you're doing what's highest in priority that produces the most per hour, it doesn't cost a delegate because you're you're releasing yourself to do the most important thing that produces the most income that produces more than the cost of the delegation and that they can produce. And yet the person that would love to do that, that's inspired to do that, that doesn't have to be motivated to do that. So they'll spontaneously do it without you even thinking about it. You can free yourself up. In 1980. The end of 1982, I hired somebody to take care of my financial things, you know, paying payroll, paying bills, bank reconciliation, all that stuff. Because I was sitting there in October of 1982, I was sitting there doing a bank balance going, what on earth am I doing? (laughs) I I didn't want to do it. Yeah. It was distracting, time-consuming. And while I was doing it, I didn't want to think about clients because it was interfering. I need to get this done. Yeah. And I'm pushing clients away. And I freed that up. And I, and I have not gone back nor even seen a checkbook <laughs> since 1982. God, I would love that. <laughs> I can't even tell you what a checkbook in my company looks like or how yeah. they Or accounting or any software or any, I don't any of that stuff. I have somebody that does that. That's their job. I, because that's a $20 to $50 an hour job. 
And why devalue my time when I can make thousands per hour? Yeah. Or tens of thousands per hour. But what about the people who can't make the ten thousands per hour or the thousands per hour, and they're still in that? You know, they're still in, in, in taking that leap into getting the first person and the team on board and the second person. I think there's a lot of uh, people in that sort of jumping from uh, say the say the hundred thousand dollar mark to the million dollar mark of a turnover in a company where it's chaos. You know, where and I think it's chaos beyond that as well. But it's 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 that getting the initial you know, taking that risk when you don't have the, the solid income yet and yet you're taking a risk on hiring a business manager or hiring a, whatever, uh, even assistance. If you have a clear job description and you have a clear actions that you can do that can produce more hour, more per hour than having to do those things, and you can see, well, I'm doing five hours a day doing trivia if I had those five hours, could I go out and close deals? Yeah. And if you're willing to do that, it doesn't cost, ever cost it to hire people. Yeah. So it's a mindset shift, really. Yeah. Because what happens is you think, well, if you're not going to be productive and they're now, you're just going to pay somebody to do something you were doing and you're not going to go produce more per hour, then it's going to cost. Yep. It frees you up to do something that closes a deal or makes a bigger deal, makes more income. You're insane not to do it. Now, in in my situation, I saw that if I was out doing presentations and taking care of clients, I could make more than tenfold what it's going to cost, 20-fold to 100-fold what I was going to pay somebody to do it. Yeah. So it's like a no-brainer. So it doesn't cost to to hire somebody unless you do it effectively. You hire somebody that doesn't love doing it, so you're pushing them uphill. It's not inspired by it, doesn't have the skill by it. And you're micromanaging it and you're having to distract yourself yeah. and you're not doing the thing that produces. That's why it costs money. Not because of delegation, but you know, inadequate delegation. So 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 in other words, recruiting the right people to your team is a huge piece of this and getting the right. So what are the, some of the things that you do when you're 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 analyzing somebody to take on into your team? Um, what are some of the processes that you go through from a from a you know entrepreneurial standpoint? Well, I do all the basics, you know, references and checks and those things. But I just sit them down when I meet them. If they get through the screening, yep. I sit down with them. I said, if I was to write a check right now for ten million dollars and handed it to you, and you never had to work another day in your life, what would you do with your life? <laughs> if they're if they don't say what the job is or close to it, I, I say thank you very much. That's I walk away. Right, because they're not. That's not their key thing. That's not their dream. Yeah. Can I share? Can I share an interesting story? Please. I don't think I shared this before. So, if I have, just tell me. Cut me off. <laughs> um, when I was in practice many years ago, I was hiring a manager. And I was scaling up and delegating and more and more. And there's, we were down to two people as potentials. One was a woman, one was a man. And the man was in for that evening, about five o'clock. I worked till six usually, but at five, I was done with my patients. Five o'clock, this gentleman comes in. And he had passed much of the things I thought, but he came into my office. He had a little briefcase. He was about 54. 
looked like a vital, energetic, enthused guy. He comes and sits down on the edge of his chair and he says, wow, this is a great opportunity. I've, I, the opportunity to work with your, your company would be fantastic. I mean, it's all inspiring. I said, great, I hope you don't mind, but I just got a few questions. And I had a check. This is back before I got rid of my checks. I got a check that my um, my lady at the front organized. Yep. And I, I had the check in front of me. And I said, um, your proper name is? And I put his name on the check. And I wrote 10 million U.S. dollars. <laughs> that was a real beast. <laughs> and, and I didn't sign it, but I just put it there. And I made sure he saw it. Because any facade he might have, if he saw a check with $10 million on it, his name on it, mm. that's going to distract him. Because the infatuation of that is going to throw any facade that he might try to put on me out the window. So I said, if I was to hand you this check and I showed him the check and I gave you $10 million up front and you never had to work another day in your life, what would you do? What did he say? And he, he leaned back in his chair like this and he goes, he relaxed a second. He goes, wow, if I had $10 million, what would I do? I would um, manufacture furniture. I have a hobby. I love making furniture. I'd make furniture and open up a furniture company. He's honest. Yep. And I said, I got up. I said, thank you very much. (laughs) And he he stood up and he was was like, what? And he said, well, did I get the job? And I said, no. He goes, do you mind if I ask why? And I said, very simple. I'm handing, I'm, I'm hiring you for a management position. You said if you had $10 million, you'd love to have make furniture. If you're a great manager, how come you haven't managed your life in such a way where you can do what you love? Mm-hmm. And he just looked at me and he just paused and he goes, that's a very good question. And I have nothing I can say except you just, just woke me up. Yep. And I said, thank you. And I escorted him out and I watched him walk with his head down slowly to his car and sit in his car for a few minutes to just process that. Yeah. Yeah. He's like going, whoa, Yeah. what a question to thought me. I'm looking for a job. I'm all enthused. I'm all excited and everything else. And I just got slammed with a reality check of what was really important to me. Hmm. And the real truth was, is I love making furniture. So he sat in that car and finally he slowly drove off. And, Ruled him out and ruled the girl out. So we had to go through another round. Yeah. And so this is part of the process. Three weeks mm-hmm. had gone by. And all of a sudden, my assistant said, Dr. Martini, there was a gentleman here a few weeks ago that was looking for a job. He's back. I went, okay. He said, uh, she said, that, should I just send him back in? I said, yeah, I'm down. The same office, same thing. He comes in. I'm sitting in the same place. He's sitting in the same place. But this time he walks in with a paper bag, big paper bag, large paper bag with handles on it. And he said, Dr. Martini, shook my hand. He said, Dr. Martini, I was here a few weeks ago. I said, oh, yeah, I remember you. He said, you changed my life. And I said, how so? 
He said, when I, when I was enthusiastic looking for the job, I've been looking for a job for three months and I didn't find one. And then I thought, when you said, if I'm such a good manager, how come I haven't managed my own life? Man, you nailed me. <laughs> I, was, I was a bit depressed after that. Yeah. And I had a soul searching and I had a conversation with my wife. And part of the reasons I was taking on jobs is for security mm-hmm. instead of doing what I really love to do. Mm-hmm. And so after that conversation, I told my wife that, and I said, if I was to go out and try to build my own company in furniture manufacturing, would you endure the, the whatever we go through to get there? And she hugged him and she says, that's what you've always wanted to do. We'll, we'll, we'll make ends meet. We'll find a way. Wow. So he started his company. He started telling people he's there to make furniture and, and he started making pieces of furniture. He made a bed and he made a dresser and he started making furniture and stuff. And he also made it available that he could do interior in homes that were being built. And he started letting people know in his network. So he's back in my office three weeks later. And he told me that that's the best thing that ever happened to his life. He says, I've already got commission $5,400 worth of product with a furniture and that's in three weeks i'm on track probably for making ten thousand dollars to my first first month wow and that's more than what i was probably going to get paid yeah yeah and i said i said congratulations yep and this is what he said to me he said you have no idea how much more energy i have how inspired i am i don't care about how many hours it is i'm working I'm staying up. I'm I'm a different I'm man. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm in. I'm I'm now understand what an entrepreneur is, a bit. And she he said, but this is what I want to do, because you gave me such a gift. When I came in your office, I noticed the wood, because you filter with your pulmonary nuclei of your diencephalonic thalamus. You pull. You filter your reality according to what you value most. Wow. So he was seeing, so he, yeah. he noticed the wood in my office. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, and I noticed that you had Kleenex boxes sitting on these little rolling carts. And it would really be honorable for me if I could actually take those little Kleenex boxes and mount my Kleenex box systems on your wall that match your wood. And all you do is lift them up on a hinge, put the Kleenex box in, pull the tissue, put it back down to replace it. And then you have more space on your thing because I noticed you had less space on there than probably ideal. Wow. It would really mean a lot to me if I could put them in all your rooms. <laughs> and I said, I would be honored to have those in there. And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to put your card uh, on the bottom of each one so I can, for referrals. And he said, I would be glad to do that. And um, he said, but that would mean a lot because you just changed my life. Wow. So he ended up doing what he really loved to do, grew his business. I got complimentary things in all my rooms, which was an added bonus. But it just goes to show that that people, when they're doing something that's deeply meaningful, truly inspiring, high in priority, they excel. And, and, so and, don't and ever hire anybody. Are, don't ever hire anybody who can't sure. see how the job description you want can help them fulfill their highest value. Their personal and the, their roles, and not this division of the company, 
you know, not just you, you know, no, we're not, not the position, the actual actions. So you make sure you have a job description with all the actions and you ask your your potential candidate, how specifically is doing this action going to help you fulfill what's most deeply meaningful to you? If they can't answer it, don't hire them. If they rattle off the answer with enthusiasm on all those things, you get them, grab them. If they don't, don't hire them because they're going to be micromanaged. You're going to have to motivate them. Motivation is a symptom, never a solution to Mm -hmm. humanity. Mm -hmm. And, and, and changing that, that um, I've got a friend, Joe Polish. I don't know if you know Joe, but he's a very famous marketing man and an incredible connector and, 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 and so on. And, and he talks about, uh, he was talking about entrepreneurship one day, uh, forget the context of the situation, but he teaches about entrepreneurial things, how to do it. You know, he's hugely successful. Um, and someone said to him once, you've had the same assistant for the last 20-odd years don't know how many years, a lot of years, if she's been hearing you talk about how wonderful it is to be an entrepreneur and to do all these things, how come she hasn't gotten that information and run off and become her own entrepreneur? And he called the lady over and he said, why is it that you're still with me? (laughs) And he knew the answer. Um, But she answered, because I don't want to take on the risk. I that's not my job. That's not my passion. My passion is to serve Joe and his and be the person in the backstage setting all his things up. That is my that is my highest power. That is what I love, and that's why I'm still here. And I love working with Joe, and I love his mission, and that's my my what I'm happy doing. And, the, 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 and he said that's the that's the key. It's not everybody should be an entrepreneur or everybody should be having the same mission. It's that she understands what her passion is, what well, her job is, and she's if everybody if everybody was an entrepreneur, who'd be working for him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd have a hell of a mess. And being an entrepreneur is a you know long, arduous, often difficult, lonely road of full of pit pit um, pit holes along the way, potholes. Um, and you know, it isn't for everybody, but it is like, uh, uh, you know, for people like you and for, for me, it's like a non negotiable. <laughs> I've got to be running my own ship. Um, and learning from people like you is great for me because then I can see, well, how's you know, my next steps and what I should be doing. And so, can I, can I share another story? Mm, go for it. So, right about the same time when I was hiring that other person, um, a young gentleman late 20s, I'm guessing, mid mid to late 20s, came into my office and asked if he could have a meeting with me. And he worked with Yellow Pages. And there used to be a thing called Yellow Pages. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I'm old enough. (laughs) And they were ads, telephone ads. And you put, you're just a listing, it's free, but if you put a listing with a little box or a little ad in it, it's a little bit more. You you bought the yellow page ad. So he was trying to sell the yellow page ad. So he sat in my office and he started to do this little spiel. And I had the time, so I took a moment to do it because I was curious what the prices were. And at the end of his little spiel, not even not even to the end, three quarters through it, I stopped him. I said, stop, just stop. That was the worst presentation you could ever imagine. That that was so so off. I said, this is not what you want to do in life. What do you really want to do in life? 
And he looked at me and he goes, that bad? And I said, it, it was, that was bad. That, that, <laughs> oh, God. I bet you haven't sold, I bet you haven't sold anything. He says, no, I haven't. I said, this is not your, your, this is not you. What's your heart? Where's your heart? What do you really, 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 really dream about doing in, in your career? He said, I want to be in the restaurant business. I said, go to a restaurant today, go get a job there and work your way up until you own your restaurants. And he goes, wow, I need to hear that because <laughs> I respect you and I need to hear that from you. Yeah. And then I, then I sold him a little audio cassette tape that I'd done mm-hmm. called this psychology of attainment. Yeah. And um, he bought it. It was only 10 bucks. Yeah. And he walked out with this $10 thing to listen to this because I knew if he listened to it, it would encourage him to keep it going. He left there. Eight years go by. Never seen the guy again. Eight years goes by. I had moved to a new office and I was on my way to go have lunch with my CPA. He picked me up. I came downstairs, he picked me up, took me to this little super salad restaurant nearby because we both had less than an hour to eat. So it's quick and get in there, etc. And you walk in and this super salad is a thing where you get a tray and it's got a whole bunch of foods and whatever it is, they weigh it and they charge you according to the weight. Mm-hmm. So if you get salad, you pay less than if you get something with him. <laughs> and uh, as I walked in and we started to go to the line, I saw that young man growing up eight years older in a suit, talking to another man in a suit. And I said, if you don't mind, go and get me a tray and I'll catch up. I see some, I must, I must say hi to him. So I walk over to this guy. He's talking to this man. He's not paying attention to me. I'm standing right next to him. And as he's talking, I'm just standing there waiting for him to finish. All of a sudden, he finishes. The guy starts to walk off. He turns around as if he's going to, can I help you? Yeah, and then realizes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he looks at me and he goes, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Wow. And shook my hand and ran off and got the other guy and said, come here. This is the guy we told you about. <laughs> and he told him, this is the guy. And the guy said, oh, thank you. I'd love to meet you. He's told me all about you. He said, you changed his life. And I said, well, didn't know until today what impact. What you were doing, yeah. (laughs) But the guy told me, he says, I have eight franchises. Wow. I come into my restaurants. That was the manager. I'm checking up on my restaurants and go to the next one. And I check them out. Once a week, I go make my rounds. He said, that day, I got me a job at SuperSound. I worked myself into a management position over two years. And then as I was saving the heck out of my money, which your tape set said to do, I bought into the franchises and I got eight franchises. Jeez. Just from that one tape, that one conversation. So you just don't and know I what said, you can impact. I, I said to myself, you just inspired me. Yeah. Brought a tear to my eye to know that, because I thought maybe I was a bit tough on you. Yeah. He said, sir, you did the most amazing thing to my life that day because the truth is I wanted to be in the restaurant business and now I am. 
Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy Pushing the Limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatarmaty.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatarmaty.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we, we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatarmaty.com and thanks very much for joining us. You're encouraged and basically to have faith in their dream and to do it because everybody else, you know, like your family often, your friends often are, you can't leave that safe job. You know, I've had this conversation with my husband who's a firefighter and, you know, um, he, he, he says like, you could, I, I can never leave the fire brigade because that's what I've always done and that's how I've always, you know, and it was my passion and so on. And I said, yes, but you don't have to stay there. You know, that's your choice, you know, like, well, but security and I'm like, bag of security if this is you know if you want to do something then do it if you love Life's doing it, sure. do it yeah <clears throat> but but all i know is that if you're not doing something you're inspired by yeah life can be pretty horrible to judge yeah and yep. i i see people i get on i i used to get i lived in new york for a while and um we lived in trump tower there <laughs> wow <Yep>. 56 <laughs> and fifth right underneath donald so i knew donald known him for 29 years and um, sometimes you take taxis. Sometimes you take limo. Going to the airport, I got a limo. But just going around the city, sometimes I'd have a taxi. And I get in the taxi, and I, and if there was a mess, sometimes I'd pass it by. Because I go, no, smelly, no, no respect. But I get in a, in a taxi. If I'm in a hurry and it's hard to get, right, at the 3.30 to 4 o'clock march, I get in whatever I get because I don't want to wait another 20 minutes. But I get in and I go, how long have you been driving a taxi? And they'll say a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it may be. I said, do you love it? Some will look in the mirror and I'll go, pays the bills, man. <laughs> and I said, but do you love it? He goes, you kidding, man? Driving a tra- uh, thing in New York? You got to be nuts. And they have that attitude. And of course, the car is usually a mess. It's got ripped holes in it. It's got... Cigarette, cigarette burns it's got you got a little bit yeah. of an odor you know it doesn't take care of it. it's not clean but then you get in, an, in another car and how long have been driving a track uh, a taxi 28 years i said do you love it i love it i get to meet people like yourself i meet the most amazing people every day my father was a taxi driver my grandfather was a taxi driver in new york i knew every city Every street, I know every part of the city. Wow. Here's my card. Yeah. You want some water? Sure. 
Anything you need to let give me feedback about my car, please tell me. There's something not in order. If somebody left something there, if it's not, if it's dirty, whatever, let me know. I like to, I like to make sure that everybody gets a good experience in my car. Wow. Anything you want to know about the city, you just ask me. Anytime you want to go anywhere in the city, you contact me. And there's my card. I will take you, I'll make sure it's it that you got the best thing and I'll be on time for you. And he was just engaged and he loved it. And of course. I got his card and I called him. And sometimes when I was going around the city, I would use him. Yep. And, then, and he would that, even come back and pick me up. And that shows you that like, it doesn't matter if you're cleaning toilets or you're a taxi driver, you're the, the garbage disposal guy, whatever job you're doing, do it well for starters. And then, yeah. you know, that, that can be your mission in life is to provide that service. It doesn't have to be taking on the world and flying to Mars like Elon Musk. Um, it, it's just do your job, do it well. I don't, I just, I have issue too with people who just, you know, doing their job, getting the paycheck, not doing the job with, with passion. And, and you can tell, you know, like I walk into my gym and there's a, a new lady on reception who is just beaming from ear to ear, fully enthusiastic. I see her training. She trains like a maniac. She's just, always happy and and positive and when somebody comes into that gym now and they get a positive smiley receptionist come in and how was your day and you know the the contrast to the other person that works at the gym who's surly looking never smiles and you know if you say hello how are you doing it's like mm -hmm. uh and, and you think wow that is just the difference between someone who's just i'm so lucky to be here and i'm working they're engaged versus disengaged. Yes. Can I share another story? Mm. Yeah. This is great. My my father, I, I started working for my father when I was four. And he owned a plumbing business. He wasn't a plumber. He was an engineer, but he had plumbers working for him. Mm -hmm. And my job was to clean the nipples. That may sound a little sexual, <laughs> but it's actually these little pipes. Yeah. And, uh, and couplings. So it's kind of like interesting. But I used to scrape them out with a brush and oil them to make sure they would be preserved because they would get a little rusty sitting around. Yep. And then my dad would then, every once in a while, not every day, but most of the time, would give me the opportunity to go out with the plumbers to go on calls to learn plumbing. Wow. Cool. And, and every once in a while he would say, well, you're going to go with Joe today. You're going to go with Bob. You're going to go with Warren. You're going to go with and this one day he said, you're going to go with Jesse. Going to spend part of the day with Jesse. And Jesse was a ditch digger. He was an Afro-American man that was a ditch digger. And I said, you want me to go with Jesse? Am I going to dig a ditch? He said, yes. I want you to go with Jesse. I said, why? He said, you'll know when you get back. I went, Okay. So I go out with Jess and we drive to this uh, house that is about a 35-year-old house that needs a new water main from the street, the main uh, main from the street up to the house. And uh, so he got a T-bar out and he got uh, a hose and he got uh, some paper and he got a sharpshooter, which is a special shovel and a little round-headed shovel and um, a level and a string and this long string thing on it wrapped up on this piece of wood. 
and uh, and some and another stick. The the, the, the stick had uh, a string around it. There were two sticks on either end. Yep. So you could open them up, mm-hmm. unravel them. And he staked one at one place, staked the other at the other place, exactly where the line's going to go. Then he took a T-bar and went down into the ground to make sure there's no roots, no rocks, no anything that might interfere with the laying of a pipe. Uh-huh. And then he watered it to make sure that you could go. And if you dug it, it was just wet enough that it wouldn't crumble if you oh. turned a sod over. Oh, wow. And then he lined paper on, on one side of it. And then we, he showed me how to dig the ditch. And I would go down the exact the width of the, the sharpshooter, which is how deep it had to go. And then we would turn it over onto the paper. And that meant that the grass wasn't even cut. It was just folded over. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Right? And, we, and I had a perfectly straight ditch. And then he showed me how to grade the ditch with this other little thing. And it would go on top of these sods. It wouldn't fall off into the grass. It would just be on top of the paper and on the inside. And then he, he took the, he leveled, took the level and he made sure that the grade was perfectly level from one place to the other. Because if you have a dip in it, water will sit there and rust and it'll, it'll wear out quicker. But if it flows exactly in, the, in line, you don't get as many, uh, you know, rusting. So we put this pipe down, put it perfectly clear perfectly graded. We leveled it, made sure it was perfectly level. We installed it to the house and to the main. We then put some of the dirt back over it, put the sods back on, patted it down, watered it, kind of swooshed it down, loosened up the grass so you couldn't even tell it had ever been done. And we had a brand new water water line done. And when you're done, you could not, I'm telling you, you could walk around it. You couldn't tell it was done. Okay. It was perfect. And then we got in the truck and started to drive off. And I asked, you know, Jesse, his name was. I said, um, that was, that was neat. You know, I'm a young kid. And he said, he called me Jay for John. He said, Jay. I have the greatest job on this planet, the greatest job a man could ever, ever, ever ask for. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? I thought he's a ditch digger. He said, without water, people die. And I bring yeah. life to people. Wow. My job is the most important mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. They can't bathe. They can't drink. Mm-hmm. They can't make food. They can't do anything without my, my water pipe. I have the most important job on this, on this planet. Attitude. I bring water to people. Without water, people die. Yeah. And I thought, whoa. And I, I came back and he, and he said to me, my job is to do such an amazing job that they call the office and complain that we never came. <laughs> because they can't say where is the... Because um, most people have a mess and blood. Yep. And yep. It's, just, I, I, it's so immaculate. They don't believe that somebody came Mm-mm. and they'll call and cuss out your dad. And say, <laughs> why is it not? Why did you not do the main? And your dad knows. <laughs> Tell them, if you don't mind, just walk out and we'll see that the main is there. <laughs> and then they're like unbelievably astonished that there was no mess. Mm. And it's perfect. Isn't it and he then tells them about Jesse 
and the 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 the, the respect he does when he does water main. Yeah, and he knew my that if I would go out there and learn from him, here's a man that does what he loves. Yeah, and does it. He, he's a ditch digger, and in those days, you didn't make but a little bit. You didn't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, I love that. It just reminds me of my dad. He was, you know, he 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 was always cleaning up. At, at, uh, so he's a guard. He was a firefighter professionally, but he would be every spare moment gardening somebody's garden, cleaning up, landscaping, doing it. Uh, and he worked on films as a landscape artist and so on. And he was always the one that was cleaning everything up. Everything was immaculate by the end of the day, whereas every, all the other workers were just, you know, down tools, it's 5 o'clock, we're off sort of thing, drop it and run, and everything was always a mess. My dad always had everything perfectly done and was always came home satisfied because he'd spent – you know, when he wasn't at the fire brigade, he spent his day with his hands in the dirt, out in the sun, physically working in nature and loving it and doing a proper job of it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it just, it just reminded me because he taught us all those sorts of things as we were growing up too and would take us and teach us how to paint and teach us how to, you know, well, all of these things. The more something is high on your value that you're doing, your identity revolves around your highest value. Whatever's highest on your value, your identity revolves around. As a result of it, the pride in workmanship goes up to the degree that it's congruent with what you value most. Wow. Because you're inspired and love doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's your identity goes around it. So my identity would revolve around teaching. So I'm inspired to do teaching. I can't wait to do it. But whatever's high on an individual's values is what they're going to excel at most. And they are wanting to do it, not because they have to, but because they love to. Yeah. And people that do something they love to completely do a different job than people that have to. They're creative, they're innovative, they're, 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 they go out of their way. They don't care if, it, if they have to work extra time. They don't care about those things because they're doing what they love. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, some fab- fabulous stories to, to illustrate the point. So whatever you're doing, people do it properly and do it with passion and try to get to where you want. You, might, you know, this just takes time to get to where you want to go. When you come out of school, you're not going to end up being, you know, at the top of your game, but you have to start somewhere and head towards what it, your passion is. I wanted to well, flip. If, Sorry, if, you start out, if you start out right at the very beginning. Yep. Going the, in that right Right, master planning it. You can get there pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. Eighteen in eighteen months, I went from doing everything to doing only the two or three things that I did most effectively. Yep, and delegated the rest away. But my income, my income went up tenfold. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Because you were actually doing the things that mattered the most. Me going out and speaking and me doing the clinical work is the two things that I was, because that's, that's the thing I went to school for. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do the administrative work. I didn't want to do all that other stuff. So hire people to do that. That freed me up. Yeah. That's a fantastic, a fantastic message. Um, now, I wanted to flip directions on you, if I could, and, and um, I've been doing a lot of uh, study around uh, flow states and uh, optimizing How do we build into ourselves this ability to, to be operating at our best, which we've been talking a little bit about, um, and what neurotransmitters are at play when we're in a flow state, and how do we maintain this over, over, over time um, to, to remain inspired and not be worn down, um, you know, like flow state, if we think about flow state and I, you know, put this into words of people, by that I mean you, you're in that, 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 
that state where you're just on fire, where everything's uh, happening really well, you're in your, your genius place, your talents are being expressed properly, and you're just in that. I, I would get that when I'm running, you know, or when I was making jewellery, and I would time would disappear, and I'd be just in this otherworldly place almost sometimes. Um, how do we tap into that? Because that is where we as human beings can be our optimal, be our best. Have you got any ideas around that as far as like the neurotransmitters and the neuroscience of flow states? Yes. <clears throat> it boils down to the very same thing I was saying a moment ago, not doing low priority things. There's two flow states though, and they get confused. Mm-hmm. And many people have confused a manic, elated, utopic, euphoric high which is a fantasy of all positives, no negatives in the brain. Mm. It's humanic. Mm-hmm. And that flow state is a hypocorticality, amygdala-driven, dopamine-driven, fantasy high that won't last. Mm. And then there's a real flow state when you're doing something that's truly inspiring and deeply meaningful to get tears in your eyes getting to do it. And you're not having a hypocorticality. You're having a supercorticality where the very frontal cortex is actually activated, not the lateral, but the medial one. And you're now present. It's the gratitude center. It's grace. And there you're in the flow because you're doing something you really love to do that you feel is your identity. And that's where time kind of stops. But some people have confused a manic episode with that state. Mm-hmm. But the manic episode crashes. But the real flow state is inspired. And that's when you're able to do what you love doing consistently. When Warren Buffett is doing reading, you know, business statements and, uh, you know, financial statements and deciding what companies to buy, this is what he loves doing. For me, I'm studying human behavior and anything to do with the brain and mind and potential and awareness I'm that way. I can do it. I can lose track of all time and just be doing that for hours. Mm -hmm. It's not a manic state. That's an inspired state. Yeah. An inspired state is an intrinsically driven state where you're willing to embrace pain and pleasure in the pursuit of it. Mm -hmm. And you love tackling challenges and solving problems. And you'll just research and research or do whatever you're doing. And you'll just keep doing it because you won't stop. That's not a manic episode. Although manics can look similar, mm-hmm. there's a difference. The, when the manic state comes in from the dopamine, you got a high dopamine, usually a high serotonin, you got encephalons, endorphins, but you also don't have, you, you're not perceiving the downsides, you're just seeing all upsides. And you're blinded by a little fantasy about what's going to happen that eventually catches you because yeah. it's, not, it's not obtainable. Fantasies aren't obtainable, objectives are. And eventually the other side comes in and osteocalcin comes in and norepinephrine, epinephrine, you know, cortisol, Mm -hmm. the stress responses. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden your fantasy is not being met. But when you think you're going after the fantasy, just think of it this way. When you're infatuated with somebody, Mm -hmm. you're kind of enamored. Yep. You're in this this blue. (laughs) Euphoria. Yeah. All you see is upside. Yeah. And you're blind to the downside. Yep, literally. This Love is blind, as they say. I'm in love. No, you're infatuated. Yes. 
And then when weeks go by, months go by, you start to find out, oh, I was fooled. That person I thought was there is not who I thought. And I feel betrayed. And you blame the person. (laughs) And that's short-lived. Yeah. But when you actually know that a human being is going to have both sides, and you don't have a fantasy of one side, but you embrace both sides, and know that they're a human being with a set of values, and if you can communicate and articulate what you want in terms of those values, you now have a fulfilling relationship. And it's a long-term relationship. And it's not volatile. It's not manic-depressive. It's just steady. Yeah. That's the one that's the flow. That's what allows the relationship to flow. The manic thing is transient. The real flow is eternal. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like the difference between, yeah, being in love and infatuated and actual true, real, long-term love. Of, so, well, of, of infatuation, people confuse with love. Yes, that's absolutely. That's what love is. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> If, if I have an expectation on you to be nice, never mean, kind, never cruel, positive, never negative, peaceful, never wrathful, giving, never taking, generous, never stingy, you know, considerate, never inconsiderate. If I have a fantasy about who you are and I'm high because I think I've found this person, it's oh well, it's all one-sided. <laughs> it's non-sustainable. No one's going to live that way. Yeah. But if I have an expectation, if they're a human being with a set of values, I can rely on them to do what's highest on their value and nothing more. And I respect their value. I see how it's serving my value. And I can appreciate what they're committed to and don't have any expectation except them to do what they do. They won't let me down. And I'll be grateful for them. Why didn't you tell me that when I was a 20-year-old, like, you know, finding the wrong people in my life? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like relationship-wise, you're going after the wrong types of people. (laughs) Anytime you go after a little infatuation, you have to – pay with a broken crush you know yeah people say have a broken heart no they don't you never have a broken heart you have a broken fantasy broken fantasy mm-hmm. that helps you eventually, it helps you actually learn to go after what's in your heart yeah and and value what is really important and, and but gosh wouldn't it be nice to have uh, have known that a lot a lot sooner <laughs> so yeah but but, but there's no mistake in what's happened because you wouldn't be doing this podcast. No, possibly. no, no, no. And then this is what, you know, like every piece of crap that's ever come your way in life has got a, a, an upside and a downside. Because I heard in one of your lectures talking about this, don't get ever overexcited and don't get really depressed. It's always in the middle. Um, I, I, you put it so eloquently. It was, yeah, whenever something good happens to you, don't get overly excited about it. And whenever something bad happens to you, don't get overly depressed about it because there's something in the middle there. You're not seeing the downsides of that good thing and you're not seeing the upsides. And I've actually integrated that now into my life. When something good, I used to have this thing, oh, my God, I've, I've this breakthrough. I've had this breakthrough and this happened to me. And then I'd be like, oh, and, and, and then I'd go and talk about it and, you know, because I'm a very – open sort of person and I found actually that's uh not good in 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 a couple of ways because I'm I'm overexcited about it. I've I've ticked it off in my brain almost as being happened. And it hasn't. If if you're overexcited you're blind to the downside. Yep. And you think it's already happened. Like if you like say you meet someone you you the possible job or possible contract or something like that. And and you got all excited about it because you you got you, you initiated that the process, but in your brain you've already ticked that box and got the job and you're off, you know. Whereas that you actually undermine. doesn't happen. <laughs> then you undermine it. Anytime yes. you're elated about a job opportunity, you usually have it taken away from you. Wow. Yeah. You're not. You're emotionally unready for it. Oh. If you're really ready for the job opportunity, 
you're going to know what it's going to take in work-wise to be able to get paid. Wow. And, you're and so thinking, you're, wow. you've got the downside on, on yeah. you already got the yeah. downside in your objective and you know, oh, that's going to be 28 hours of work here. And So that's not cynicalness. That's not cynicism. Yeah. That's actually no, realism. It's, just, it? it's grounded objectives. Okay. People with grounded objectives don't have job opportunities taken away from them. But people that get elated about it, brag about it, talk about it, it almost inevitably disappears. Wow. Okay. And so you've got to be looking at, like, because I've, 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 I've late had, you know, a couple of opportunities come up that are possibly, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing. And I'm like, ah, but that one's going to take so much work in this direction. And that means it's going to be the sacrifice there. And like the old me would have just gone, yay let's do it jump in <laughs> and i'm like am I, am I just getting old or is this actually a better way to be <laughs> my my dad taught me something as a as a plumbing industry he'd have to they'd say okay we're going to build this house and here's all the plumbing that's going to be involved in it they'd see the plans mm-hmm. he has he'd have to do an estimate what would it cost to produce all that put that together if he got elated and he didn't do his cost, by the time he finishes, he didn't make any profit. Yep. But if he does his due diligence and knows all the responsibilities, what happens if it rains? What happens if there's delays? What happens if the permits are delayed? Mm. And he puts all the variables in there and checks it all off. He then goes into the to the, the customer and says, this is what it's going to cost. And he said, sometimes a customer would come to him and say, well, yeah, but this other one came in at uh, $10,000 cheaper. And my dad would sit there and I said, and he say, would say to him, he said, I want to show you something. And I guarantee you that the man that comes in there $10,000 cheaper is not going to be thinking of all the variables. Yeah. And you're going to end up not having the job that we're going to do. And let me make sure you understand this. You may not hire me and that's okay, but I want to make sure you're informed so you make a wise decision. Yeah. And if you don't, you're going to go pay that and decide to save $10,000 and it's going to cost you an extra 10. Yep, been there, done that. So what he did, my dad used to go through it and with a fine-tooth comb explain all the different variables. He says, now what I want you to do is go back to the other person that's giving you those things and ask them all those questions. Yeah, if they didn't think about it, yeah. they're going to either not make money off you and they're not going to want to continue to do the work or they're not going to do a great job because they're, they're losing money. Or you're going to end up getting a thing done, then they're never going to want to do follow up and take care of you again as a customer. Mm-hmm. So here's what it costs. And I've been doing this a long time. I know what it costs. I know what the properties. And so I'd rather you know the facts and be able a little bit more and make sure it's done properly than go and save a few bucks and find out the hard way. Wow, so we'll go and so check. Good. Here's the questions that go check. And they came back to my dad. Yep, yep, yep. When they understood that whole thing, and I think that's, you know, and and, and this is a, a good thing in every piece of every part of life. You know, it's not always the cheapest offering that's the best offering, <laughs> which you learn oh, the hard way. <laughs> I had somebody come to me not too long ago, maybe four months ago, earlier this year, and said, "I go to so and so seminar for almost half the price of your seminar. Why would I go to your seminar?" <laughs> and I said. That's like comparing a Rolls Royce to a Volkswagen. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. I said, so let me explain what you're going to get here. And let me explain what you're going to get here. And then you can make a decision. If you want that Volkswagen, you know, outcome, yeah. that's fantastic. 
if you want a Rolls Royce, I'm, I'm the Rolls Royce. I'm going to give you something of value here. Yeah. And once you explain it and make the distinctions, people will pay the difference. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, in, in, as in a business, you have to be able to stand to that as well. Like I, uh, when I was a jeweler, um, when I started, I was a goldsmith in a previous life, and we used to make everything by hand, and it was all, you know, custom jewellery, et cetera, back before China and the mass production and huge factories and economies of scale really blew the industry to pieces. And for a long time, you were actually in that, that hanging on to what it was and not transitioning into the mass production side of it because I didn't want to, but not being able to represent the value that actually what you were producing, you know, the customization, the personalization, the handmade, people wouldn't understand that. And so you end up chopping your own prices down and down and down to the point where it no longer became a viable business. And that was the state of the industry and, and so on and so forth. But people could not see the, the difference between, say, this silver ring and that silver ring, you know. But that one's a customized, handmade, personalized piece that took X amount of hours to produce. And this is something that got spat out of a production line that a 10 million other people are wearing. But people can't see the value difference. Yeah, you have to, you're responsible for bringing it to their awareness. Yes. If, if you've been to a sushi restaurant, they have this egg that's in layers. Have you seen yes. this? Yep. And um, I noticed that to get a, to get, you know, some nigiri with some egg on it with a little seaweed wrapped around it. It was like $4 per, mm-hmm. per, per piece. And and uh, the other sushi was like $2 at the time. And I thought, just well, an egg, why, why would it, why would it be that much? And then I thought, and then I watched him prepare one and how many hours it took to prepare one of those slabs of egg. Wow. Cause he had to do it in layers. Uh-huh. So you had to literally take a pan, take an egg, pour it in the egg, cook it just a certain level, and then lay that, it, it scramble it, lay it on top layer at a time while it's hot, and layer by layer by layer by layer, and cut it and everything else to make that thing. Wow. And I realized wow. that is an individual egg-layered piece of egg. And I realized after seeing him, I go, that's a ten dollar egg. This is cheap. <laughs> four bucks. <laughs> I, I was thinking, how the heck does he do that for four bucks? Yeah, I couldn't see how he'd make any profit out of it, and I I never questioned it after that because I could see there's a distinction made. Yeah, and it's the same with you know like with the coaching that I do with the running coaching or the whatever. Oh, but so and so's program is X amount of dollars cheaper, and it's like yes, but have they done what I've done? Do they have the systems that we have? Do they have the you you're comparing? A Rolls Royce with a Volkswagen to use yeah, your the analogy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, the apples yeah. and oranges. Yeah, but you, you know, and it's hard not to come across as being um, arrogant when you say that, but you you it's, mean it like just don't if, buy if rubbish. You get defensive. If you get defensive, you can come off cross arrogant. Yeah, yeah. If you get informative, there's no arrogance. Yeah, yeah. You're if you actually explain about, the process and say this is care, care about them <laughs> to make sure they get the why the wisest decision. Yeah, and that means inform them of the differences, mm. and then um, you know accepting where 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 they're at. I think um, is, and is not attached to it. You're not yeah. doing it because you got to make a no, sale. If they don't want it. to, then that's fine. <laughs> You're doing it because you know it's going to be to their advantage. Yeah. And when they see the integrity and sincerity of that, they'll buy it. Yeah, 
yeah, and I think that's a really good key. I wanted to, to, to just flip that. We, we've got to wrap it up because I know it's time to go. But just um, I'm really excited for some of the converging technologies that are coming our way. And I wanted just your take in, in the two minutes that we've got left. You know, we've got AI, we've got robotics, we've got um, supercomputing and quantum computing and all of this sort of world of that's going to change the way that we live in the next five to 10 years to so change our health system, our finance system, crypto. There's, you know, there's everything. Are you excited about the future or are you fearful about the future? Where, where do you sit on this? Because a lot of people are feeling very unsafe and un- unsure about all this sort of stuff that's coming. Neither. Neither. <laughs> not too high, not too low, because there's good and there's bad. I should have predicted that answer. The, the, the technologists that are optimists of the future are counterbalanced by the skeptical ecologists that dwell in the past. And for every gullible optimist, there's always a skeptical pessimist to keep things in check. So I don't allow myself to get emotionally exuberant because I know that that's just half of the equation and the other half is going to come anyway. I look for both sides and realize there's new technologies, there's new challenges. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it right now. We've got a new COVID vaccine, right? Yeah. Yep. And there's, there's, there's people that are saving the day by it. They think, yeah. oh, you're saving the day. You got others thinking you're trying to cause death in people. Yeah. You got the optimist, pessimist on it. And the overly exuberant people that are manically elated about it Mm. in the universe have to be brought back down into grounding to show the downsides. And Mm. the downsides have to see the upsides. Mm. And when you see both sides, you're stable. Yes. If I find myself elated or depressed, I ask new sets of questions to calm down the elation, to lift up their depression and center myself so I can stay on my objective and fulfill my mission. And you think that sort of the truth always lies in, the, in, in somewhere in between these two polarized views well, of the world. If you're blinded to the downsides and you're elated and infatuated, you're not seeing what's there. So you're not actually looking at the science and what's actually You're not happened. looking at both sides. If you <laughs> see both sides and you can show both sides and you're prepared for it, you're stable, you're steady, you're objective, and you're prepared. So how do you get there? That's the final point that I wanted to talk about because, you know, some of the change that's coming is going to be pretty radical. There's going to be complete industries that have disappear and there's going to be, you know, new ways of doing business and there's all these things. How do we stay flexible enough to be able to adapt? Like I, I see, you know, the elderly generation, and I look at my my mum and, and, and her, 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 who cannot function in this world without a, a kid that can pay the bills and do the thing because they cannot they're not able to, she's, she's not able to stay up with the technology. Well, um, she's able, she's choosing not to strategically. Probably. You're, you're damn right there, I'll tell you that. <laughs> she's learned helpless in this respect because she doesn't if have to. If you weren't there, she wouldn't just lay on the streets. <laughs> <clears throat> she would She would find it, someone else to do it with her because she'd smile sweetly at them. Uh, you're probably right there to a degree, but it, it is um, getting People quite hard. People can be very resourceful if yep. somebody doesn't rescue them. If someone doesn't rescue them, like I rescue my mum. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It is like the, the rate of change. I think is 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 quite unsettling for a lot of people, and the, the, the staying up with the technology and the staying up with the changes that are happening. Well, if somebody if somebody place. takes care of that and they adapt and they just take care of them, they have no need to. Yeah, if they got nobody to take care of them they will not allow themselves to get out or they'll say, I don't want to live any longer. Yeah. And they'll just pass on. But, but 
if you rescue them and you don't have them have any accountability, they have no need. Over-support makes them juvenile dependent. Challenge makes them precociously independent. And it's a challenge to keep them alive. Oh, absolutely. I'm 100 on, on, on that. I'm all on board with that. And I've just realized I probably had a blind spot in relation to technology because, you, you know, I just can't do that. And yet I don't need to get away with that in the gym or in the training or in the, <laughs> the other things, but I have to get away well, with that. <laughs> right. She's in for a hard day today. One time I thought I was going to be overwhelmed by using a cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> and you've adapted. <laughs> I've slowly adapted. Yeah. And, and now how to do the things I need to get done. Yeah. And you would take on more if you had to. And, and you know, you, you don't exactly have your average brain, though, Dr. John. <laughs> well, but, but the thing is, is I delegate so much. Yeah. That if I don't want to do it, I just delegate. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You're right. But if I find no one to delegate to, I'll learn it. Yeah. Yeah. I must, I must try that on with my brother. He seems to, I can't work that one out. It's just, you'll have to do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my wife, <clears throat> my wife, who is from Melbourne, Australia, uh-huh. remember it, maybe Athena, I don't know. Y- yes, yes, yes. Athena was a very lovely, amazing woman. Yeah. But I only saw her cook twice in the whole time I was with her, almost 14 years. <laughs> and and uh, one time she cooked in New York and she broke a $400 pot, burned some food and destroyed a plate. <laughs> And, and so it cost me about $475 plus the food. So it's a $500. And you're uh, hungry that night. <laughs> and I said, and, 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 I, and I said, you know, honey, the time you spent going to the store, preparing anything else, this is insane. <laughs> Let's just go to dinner. <laughs> go to a professional that knows what they're doing. <laughs> you stick to and what she you're said, to. She said, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Now, then she did it one more time. She cooked. And there we burnt fish that we couldn't even get off the grill and, and, uh, it was burnt not and, a genius um, yeah i think i i think we even damaged some some store-bought bags of of cabbage <laughs> i don't know i can do that but anyway afterwards i told her i, I begged her please don't ever cook again <laughs> and, and she she goes okay now she was strategic because she knew if she cooked well she'd have to yeah, 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 yeah. So she she had you wrapped around your your finger like uh, my mum has me wrapped around. So we went to Lesurk, we went to Lesurk restaurant and had fine dining most of the time. Nice, 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 nice. <laughs> the point is that she she knew that if she cooked well, that she'd be trapped in the kitchen. She ain't gonna do that. Clever lady. I wonder if I could change the. It's hard once you've actually down that rabbit hole and they know that you can <laughs> dr john d martini you've been wonderful thank you very much for the second visit on pushing the limits it's been a wonderful uh, hour to spend with you again and i really thank you for your work and your insights today thank you thanks for having me again fantastic that's it this week for pushing the limits be sure to rate review and share with your friends and head over and visit lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com 